So, Jack, you have um, some pretty interesting plans for tomorrow, eh? Uh, you know, I do, actually. I decided to finally spend uh, the $10.25 that it cost to ride the, the Altamont Corridor Express commuter train from San Jose to Pleasanton. Uh, this will actually require me to ride a bunch of other modes to actually get home. Uh, and I decided that it could be really fun to couple it with Amtrak. So that would allow me to take uh, the bus and BART uh, to Amtrak and the Oakland Coliseum. And then I can couple that with the Capitol Quarter, which would be a really fun experience for me, at least, because I haven't been on these trains in a, an incredibly long time. So, yeah, it should be an interesting experience. Lucky that, you know, the Bay Area just has so many different systems, so many different options, right? So, um, wait, how many different different network different um what do you call them methods of of public transit are you taking how many different networks uh well tomorrow my plan is to ride the train the bus and bart which is heavy rail uh i might potentially decide to ride the air bart to oakland but the timing for that would be incredibly tight because i would have about three minutes to get off it and get on the amtrak which would, it takes a lot longer to get from the station to the amtrak so i don't think i'll do that but it would be fun I'll be ex incredibly expensive. You know, that, that extension to Oakland Airport costs $6 one way just to ride for about five minutes. So it's incredibly expensive. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm expecting three mm, to four modes of transit to tomorrow. Three to four modes. Well, okay. So actually, okay, I kind of want to like see and, and I kind of want to go through like like what you're doing for it. So you're starting off, I presume, you're taking, you said you're taking the, the Caltrain from from basically the West Bay down to San Jose? Yeah, that's correct. And then, okay, and then after that, you're taking the ACE train, which is another commuter train in the Bay Area. You're taking that to Pleasanton, which is on the east, like, you know, past the mountains on the east Bay. Yep. Right? Okay. And then from Pleasanton, you said you're taking the BART, the, the subway, into to Oakland? Yeah, my hope is to to get on the BART, which doesn't actually connect to the, the ACE train station, so I have to take a bus uh, to the BART station, which is about 15 minutes. And then the BART takes me from West Dublin Pleasanton into Oakland Coliseum, right by uh, both the airport and the two arenas and stadiums. Oh, wow. Okay. And then so from, from there, then you're taking the BART again, or... What did you say we're doing? My my plan is to take the Amtrak Capital Corridor to either Santa Clara or to San Jose. I can't decide because it would be much quicker for me to get home to get off at Santa Clara. Although, uh, if I go to San Jose, I might be able to catch the Coast Starlight, which gets in around 8, 10 p.m. So that could be a fun experience if the train's on time. Okay, so so after so okay, so you're taking the commuter rail, then you're taking the just a normal subway system, then you're taking the Amtrak like the not like you know the intercity rail and then from there so from san jose you're taking i presume the the caltrain back home yeah eventually that's how i'll end up wow that is that is a nice transit um exploration day huh how, how much um how much are you how, how much are you planning for for all of this to cost uh so the the train itself will be I think the, the Caltrain is probably $6 each direction, which is covered by uh, a Clipper card that I already paid for this month. Uh, and then I believe the bus fare is probably 250 and BART is about $5. Uh, 
uh, and then the, the trains itself are really expensive. So the, the Capital Corridor is $17 to go from the Oakland Coliseum to San Jose. And the Ace is $10.25 to go one way from San Jose to Pleasanton. So it's it's quite expensive, and I was surprised to see how expensive it is because I know in other places it's much cheaper. Yeah, yeah, that's like forty bucks, huh? Yeah, it, yeah, it's like forty bucks. Mm-hmm. So certainly it's not something I can do often, but uh, if I can get as much of it onto my Clipper card as possible, that could make it work. Wow. So how many like of these different portions, right? How many have you not done before? Like, have you taken? Um, the for example the 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 Amtrak from Oakland to San Jose or 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 even you know um the BART out from from Pleasanton. Uh, I've never done taking the BART uh, anywhere south of Oakland itself, so that'll be completely new to me. Uh, the bus system for in Pleasanton itself is exciting because I've never really ridden a bus at all in the East Bay except for once. I've never been on the ACE train before, so that'll be super exciting. And I'll be on that train for 50 minutes, so I can have plenty of time to uh, walk around it and experience it. And then the Amtrak I actually have been on before. It was uh, like eight years ago, so I don't really remember it. I know I took it from Richmond to San Jose, uh, but this time it's slightly shorter. Uh, but I'm excited about that because I haven't been on that. I haven't been on a, a, a non-long-distance uh, Amtrak train on the West Coast in a, in a really long time. Oh, so this is like basically all of it is sort of new for you. Eh? Yeah, pretty much, except for the the Caltrain. Wow. Mhm. Mhm. Well, wow. I mean, you know, have have fun out there, man. I mean, I um again, you know, we here in Ohio certainly don't have the the options that you have in the Bay Area, but you know, I I I really love, you know, going on these just just transit for the purpose of transit, right? Um you, it's not for it's not for you know an event that you're having or whatever just just wandering around you know um have you done these these types of like sort of trips before you know i i really haven't as much as i would have liked i think as i've grown older i've had more inclination to do it because uh, in the past i was i was really set on doing whatever my parents wanted to do in a city and sometimes i could convince them to to take random subway lines and a lot of times we would be able to incorporate trains into the trip uh, but I haven't really experienced as much like uh, unique transit services that are really not as built in for tourists like these commuter trains. So that's something exciting about tomorrow. And I hope that I can do more of that in the Bay Area and maybe in other cities in the future. So, yeah, I mean, sounds wonderful. Just, hey, man, have fun tomorrow. That's, uh, you know, that's really what's important. Um, but in regards for today's episode, um you know, we today's episode is is about effectively cool train lines, right? Um, cool train journeys, uh, and so what we've both done is me and Jack have both we've both selected uh, two um, notable world routes, right? So um, the for example, the first one I've selected is the Canadian, uh, and Jack has selected two, which um, which. You know, he he also believes are are very uh, cool cool journeys around the world. So the way we want to do this is sort of you know we'll, we'll start off both um, with 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 all of the, uh, the the routes that we've selected. We'll first talk a little, give a little introduction, and then afterwards, you know, we'll we'll talk about how cool they are, right? So the first route that I've selected is of course the Canadian. 
Um, it is Canada's only long distance, well, Canada's only ultra long distance um, train journey. Uh, it runs from Toronto to Vancouver, uh, taking a total of 86 hours, which is three and a half days. Um, and it passes by, you know, effectively almost all the landscapes of of Canada, right? It goes through, it goes through, for example, the Great Plains. It goes through the mountains, the Rocky Mountains. Um, and this is sort of, you know, a, a really prideful Canadian route, right? Like, it's so, uh, a fun fact about the Canadian, actually, um, it's so, you know, it, it's so notable that it was put on the Canadian $10 bill, the back of the $10 bill. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of iconic in that sense. Um, but of course, even though it's on the $10 bill, you'll need to dish out a whole heck of a lot more to actually pay for a ticket on this route. Um, if uh, you're riding an economy, the whole, the whole route from Toronto to Vancouver, um, it'll like the, the absolute lowest is about $440. And if you want, you know, a room, if you want an actual bed, um, that will, that, that will go up from four thousand and six hundred dollars uh but wow that's really expensive yeah it's uh <laughs> you um you know it's not you know a, a simple for the you know this is not a very um very cost-friendly trip but what is another you know notable thing about the canadian is that um you know it takes three and a half days uh and what that effectively means for the journey itself is that every single day you will be waking up to a completely different landscape, right? So, for example, let's say, you know, you're taking the, the train from Toronto westbound. The first day, right, is um, it will largely be the Canadian forest, right? Uh, the forests of the Canadian shield, um, you know, they, they're boundful and, and, and endless, right? And then you go to sleep. And the next morning you wake up and all of a sudden the forests are gone, right? You're, you're all in the Great Plains and it's just, you know, emptiness and, and agriculture and corn and wheat fields as far as the eye can see. And so that continues on as you slowly continue to push westbound. Um, and then you go to sleep again. And the third day, all of a sudden you're in the Rocky Mountains, right? And, you know, you have these breathtaking landscapes. You're in the environment. You're in where where Banff National, Banff and Jasper National Parks are. And, uh, you know, you slowly approach into Vancouver on the, all the way on the other side of Canada. So this is the, um, you know, this is the route that the first route, which I think is, is really notable, um, in the world. Um, while the United States just down South has four, you know, transcontinental, uh, rail, rail lines, um, this is Canada's one and only. It passes through, um, you know, it passes through the major cities, Toronto, Winnipeg, Saskatoon, Edmonton, and Vancouver. And uh, yeah, I just think it's really cool. I mean, Jack, have you, um, have you had many uh, encounters with the Canadian before? Uh, I have not. I've actually, I've watched quite a lot of YouTube videos about it because I'm, I'm fascinated about those, those rural train lines in Canada. Uh, and I know... Oh really? I've really? I've never actually been. I've only been to Canada for one night, so I don't really I haven't really experienced much of Canada. But I've heard one thing about the Canadians that it makes uh, actually 
or has, it's listed on the schedule that has a lot of stops. And I was curious, like, does it actually make all of those stops or some of those flag stops? Oh yeah, it's um, it's actually really cool because uh, you know, while there there are actually only about I believe I believe um, fifteen or so, uh, like st- physical stops, like stops where they actually you know have scheduled stops, but there are you know a whole lot more. I believe you know up to around like like eighty flag stops along the way. It's for you know the tiny rural communities, um, where you know it's just the little small towns the small villages living out in you know the the either the the forest or the mountains that probably only have like 20 or 30 people total um so i mean much like the united states you know it this is very much a connector right um it was the canadian that that connect that connected canada this is you know the you know the canadian and and do you know are there any other connections to Via Rail along the line? Because I believe there's a line that goes from Winnipeg to Churchill in Manitoba. Does that have any connection with the, the with the Canadian? Can you transfer? Actually, yeah. Um. So you know, it's a, uh, it's it's it, I guess it's sort of like um what it what the situation is in America, where you know uh, most of the most of the lines, most of the connections are concentrated on um, either side. Um, for example, if um, for example, in in leaving Toronto, right? Toronto is obviously a major hub where, where you can connect um, up along the Windsor Quebec corridor. You can go to Quebec, down to Windsor, out down even down south to, to New York. But after that, right, your the next big city effectively is Winnipeg, which is thirty hours away, and there's and there's you know basically nothing in between. Winnipeg, however, is, you know, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up. Um, the Winnipeg to Churchill, Manitoba train, it's, it's famous because, well, Churchill, Manitoba is famous for being, yeah, I'm sure as you know, a, a polar bear, um, polar bear capital of the world, right? Yeah. Um, so Winnipeg, you can act, you actually can connect. It is, um, it, I, it is, I believe the, um, the, 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 actually, no, I, I was gonna say it. I believe it was the the northernmost passenger service in in North America, but I think there's one in like northern Quebec. Um, but you know, from Winnipeg, you there is a route that which is pretty interesting. You can go all the way up to the Hudson Bay, but after that, um, you know, it's again a super long period where you just can't connect. I believe the next connection is um, all the way at. Um, I believe it was, I believe it's Jasper um which connects all which uh from which the um the, the train runs to Prince Rupert on uh the the British Columbia coast um yeah it it goes from Jasper and then it goes you know directly directly west whereas the Canadian continues down southwest to Vancouver where um there is obviously is it is it the Cascades I can never remember um yeah, that starts in Vancouver and goes south. Yeah, yeah, yeah and so you know, the, okay, so it's then so then it's the Van, you know, the the next connection is basically in Vancouver, right? Um, but along the way, there's there's nothing else. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess in that sense, again, it's it's sort of really similar to, um, the the United States. Yeah, and do, and do you know? Uh, if there, so I believe that there's also some some scenic train lines that run in British Columbia and Alberta. I think it's the Rocky Mountaineer. Is there any competition between the Canadian and these scenic train lines that run some of these same routes? 
You know, I'm actually not sure because um, I don't know. Have you uh, have you had many? I don't know. Have you done? Have you dig, dug deep into these uh, these scenic train routes in um, in BC and Alberta? Uh, I haven't really dug deep into them, and I, I'm more just curious as to whether they're they're similar in what they offer. Because I know that with the Canadian, it's largely a train service meant to transport people. And I think these other scenic trains are meant more as packages. And I, and I think they're less based on actually transporting people to their destination. But I wonder if there's anyone who picks a train just to go to like Alberta rather than going to Toronto. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, those, those packages, um, that, that's a great way to describe them. The BC and the Alberta mountain train lines, they're like basically explicitly for tourists who go to visit the Rocky, the Canadian Rockies. Um, whereas the Canadian, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, oftentimes, um, that, you know, um, I've seen online and read online that for many small communities, right, the train is literally the, the only connection out. Like a lot of communities along the way have quite literally no roads, uh, much less, you know, air, air connections or, or, or what else. Um, and I've, I've, I've seen online that many people will take the Canadian for, for example, going to the doctor's appointment or even to buy groceries on a, on a daily basis. Um, so that, you know, I think there's definitely, um, in terms of the overall demand, there's, there's definitely a, a very sizable amount of tourists who take the Canadian, you know, either, um, from, from, for example, Edmonton to Vancouver through the, the Canadian Rockies, or even, you know Toronto Vancouver all the way right for what I said before is you know all the different sceneries of Canada um, but l much like in America with these long-term routes um, there is a, a much greater practical usage for for rural communities as well yeah that's certainly the impression I get from it and I think it's interesting that for a lot of these people, it's used for convenient activities, but you mentioned previously that the prices are so expensive. Uh, and I know that for a lot of, for this train in particular, there's uh, like especially luxury accommodations that they're like prestige suites that are like double beds and whatnot. And it's, it's, it's interesting the contrast that the train is for some people versus some other people. Yeah, that's actually an inter interesting point. Um, the Canadian, you know, it's, um, well, there's, there's, you know, the, the, the luxury factors is for, you know, if you want to go for comfort, right? But for a lot of these smaller communities, they're not going to Toronto or to Vancouver. They're going just to, you know, the, the, the town, the bigger town right down the line um, where, you know, the, the, there are actually services, right? Um, people aren't going to go, for example, from, you know, a a, a a small a small village in Manitoba or Saskatchewan, they're not going to go to Toronto or Vancouver for um, for groceries, right, or to 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 get a checkup. Um, and so I think you know that that sort of balances out because along the way they're not they're not going all the way, um, which you know makes them sort of less affected by the the um, the the high prices which tourists have to contend with. Um, but also because, um, you know, the line is pretty heavily subsidized by, um, the, b both the federal and provincial governments of Canada. So, you know, I, I think there's definitely is a level of, of catering to these small communities as well. Um, ensuring that this one service 
isn't you know in in contention although i will say that because of covid right now um the the canadian is only running only half of the canadian is running um which means that you know right now you can only take the train to to and from winnipeg and vancouver the toronto to winnipeg uh, route section is still is still suspended um and I do remember there were certain discussions about, oh, the rural communities in the area um, who may have suffered but uh, as a result of this lack of connection. But, you know, it, it is it is COVID, right? What can you do? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't actually know that. And that's surprising. Uh, do, do you know why they chose to cut off that segment for the time being? I think um, I'm actually not sure. I, I do know that. Um, it, it it was a fairly recent uh, uh, restart of the line, um, but you know if if I had to probably guess, it's probably just because you know Ontario is the most hardest hit um, portion of Canada in terms of COVID. So wh- whereas Western Canada is is relatively you know less less heavily affected, so I think it's for the status quo it's safer to just run between winnipeg and vancouver but they're definitely you know they definitely want to to um to 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 bring the full service back not only because of the the connections but also because you know this is a national symbol of canada right (laughs) yeah and i think the impression i get is that a lot of people are discovering about it and probably going to ride it in the future after COVID. And I think along the line, it's a good transition into the route I was envisioning discussing, which is just south of the Canadian, which is the Empire Builder, which isn't as long as the Canadian, but I think it it, it has a lot of similarities. Of course, the Empire Builder is one of the longest trains in, uh, in the U.S. I believe it's the third or fourth longest, uh, especially because it goes uh, from Chicago to the West Coast and it actually splits off in Spokane, which is uh, somewhat interesting in the in the dilemma it creates, and I'll get into that later. But like I said, it's one of the longest. It's uh, forty five to forty six hours between Chicago and either Seattle or Portland. Uh, although what's notable with the line that I think a lot of other Amtrak lines face, but to a lesser degree, is on delays. Uh, the Empire Builder is generally pretty delayed, and actually, I've ac- had the experience of being on the train, and. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Like, you've been on the, Am- the the Empire Builder before, eh? I have. And at one point, I believe we were in North Dakota. We were, were 10 hours delayed. And I don't think we ended up being that delayed coming into <laughs> Portland. But uh, it did delay at least the, the visibility of our train or be, of us being able to see Glacier National Park, which is a little disappointing because it was fully dark when we got there. But I think uh, we got to see parts of it at the beginning. So that was still worth it, I think. But I think... That's interesting to point out that the the train, uh, uh, if you go eastbound towards Chicago, you can see Glacier National Park during the day. Uh, you may not see it if you're going west like when I did it, uh, but the train in general has quite stunning views uh, in between Seattle or Portland and uh, Glacier National Park. But once you get out of Glacier National Park, going towards Chicago becomes pretty much the same scenery up until about Wisconsin, where it's essentially plains the entire time, which for some people could be really nice, and I think I enjoyed it. Uh, but it, it it is kind of monotonous at a certain point because it's uh, kind of the same the entire time. 
Uh, but once you hit Wisconsin, uh, you and you hit the uh, Mississippi River, it gets slightly different towards more farmland uh, and some hills here and there. So it is uh, actually, like you mentioned with the Canadian, quite a mix of scenery that I think uh, makes it really attractive to a lot of different people. Uh, and I think the other interesting part about the Empire Builders, the communities, especially in North Dakota and to some extent in Montana, in eastern Montana, are some of the most rural communities that any Amtrak train serves in the U.S. because there's uh, not a lot of proximity to an interstate, uh, especially in North Dakota where the train runs um, probably at least 100 miles north of Interstate 94. So you're really far from any interstate whatsoever, which makes it uh, interesting scenery as well because it's really just all rural and rural plains, like I mentioned, which I think can be really beautiful. Uh, and I guess uh, also one other point that I wanted to mention, like I said earlier, was that once it splits in in Spokane, the the service that's provided to the people in Portland is uh, drastically less, which is kind of shameful to some degree that they have to discriminate and give uh, the dining car to the Seattle portion and just give the lounge car to Portland, which is an, it's an interesting trade-off because I know a lot of people ride Amtrak for uh, the lounge car experience, uh, but then again, the, the dining car experience is also something that is uh, a notable factor for people choosing to ride Amtrak. And I guess along those lines, it's important to point out that if you are looking to to ride the Empire Builder in the coming days, you should probably wait about six more days because on June 23rd this year, Amtrak is reinstating all of their traditional dining services on their long-haul routes. So if you're looking to experience maybe that Amtrak steak again, uh, I would wait maybe six days to, to, to get on the Empire Builder. But I, I highly recommend the train. It's certainly uh, one of the best Amtrak trains there is that you can take uh, on a long distance route. Certainly one of the most beautiful when you get into uh, Montana, Idaho, and uh, Washington, and, and Oregon as well, eventually. But uh, that most it spends a lot of its time paralleling the Columbia River, which is um, pretty beautiful if you're going towards Portland. And even if you're going through uh, Seattle, you get to experience the Cascade Tunnel, which I believe is the longest uh, train tunnel in the entirety of the U.S., uh, and those tunnels are somewhat fascinating to me because it, they the people on the train force you to uh, not walk around the train at all so diesel exhaust doesn't get into the train cars, which is uh, seems like it can be something avoidable. And it's uh, I'm always fascinated when I see the ventilation systems and those tunnels working. So, yeah, in general, I think that the, the, the terrain and the, the description of the route is, is really variable and I think really unique to the Empire Builder route because it covers such a wide variety of terrain yeah i'm actually you know it, it certainly sounds like you had a really really um fruitful and bountiful trip but you know i'm 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 curious about the the scenery actually because um you know just by looking at a map right it is of course america's most northernmost um long distance train um and so like you mentioned um for example uh by glacier national park right um you know, can you actually like see well into Glacier National Park from the Empire Builder? Uh, well, you can see you can see parts of it, and I don't have firsthand experience of this because I was asleep and it was dark. Uh, but the train goes through. I I don't actually know if it enters the park boundary itself, because uh, it goes south uh, into Essex. Um, so it it goes through a lot of places that are jumping off points for Glacier National Park, but you don't actually get to see uh, a lot of the the major attractions on going to the sun road but you're certainly close by and they offer connecting services into the park i believe through either uh, west glacier or east glacier park station uh which 
is also a seasonal station. They don't mm-hmm. serve East Glacier Park in the winter, and they serve Browning instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. Um, because you know, I want to ask you like like f- like effectively two questions, right? The first is, you know, how do you think the the Empire Builder compares with the Canadian? Because you know, they are sort of like right across the border from each other, right? Um, you know, do you think there's there's big difference in scenery? And second, like, how do you think the Empire Builder compares to the other Amtrak long distance routes, um, like the California Zephyr or um, the the Southwest Chief? Uh, yeah. So I guess in relation to the Canadian, uh, the Empire Builder is obviously uh, for almost forty hours shorter, so it's quite a bit shorter in terms of a journey. And I think, and pricing wise, it's also a lot cheaper. It's a minimum one hundred and fifty dollars in coach if you want to go the entire route from from Chicago to Seattle and if you want to get a room a roomette basic is uh it ranges between 700 and 1000 uh in July it's wait 7 700 yeah oh my god which um, i imagine wow. is cheaper than the rooms you can get on the canadian yeah the canadian like i said from 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 4655 and i i do envision the the rooms themselves on the Canadian are either nicer, but uh, like you mentioned, it's also 40 hours longer. Uh, but the Empire Builder also runs daily, which I don't believe the Canadian did pre-COVID. Uh, so I think the type of people that use the Empire Builder uh, is slightly different. I think the Empire Builder certainly gets a, quite a lot of tourists, but it also gets uh, 1,800 people using it daily, uh, which is which is a lot. And I think a lot of people, like I mentioned, go to these rural cities uh, and and the the annual ridership in some of the cities, whitefish is high. Like uh, consistently, some of these cities, like Minot or Havre, have over ten thousand people a year, which is a lot, I think, for those small ends of these kinds of cities. And then also on your question of the long distance routes in the U.S., uh, I haven't been on the California Zephyr myself. Uh, it's one of the routes I actually really want to go on because I've heard that that scenery is is really impressive. I and, and I think uh, you did ask also about the Canadian scenery, so I'll get back to that. I think. Actually, th- those routes are really similar in terms of the scenery because they both go through the Rocky Mountains, which and both have incredible views. Uh, and then they both go through, like the Canadian goes through Saskatchewan and Manitoba, and the Empire Builder goes through Montana, Eastern Montana, North Dakota, and Minnesota. So it's all very similar, like plains scenery. I think you do get some of the more forest-like scenery in Ontario, which you don't get on the Empire Builder, but comparatively, they're similar. Similar. But I think there are uh, a lot of differences with the other Amtrak routes in terms of scenery, especially the Southwest Chief, which I haven't been on the entirety of. I only went from L.A. to the Grand Canyon. But that route in general has uh, a lot less of mountain scenery, except for some small parts in, I believe, New Mexico. Uh, and if you're into like seeing a, a wide range of scenery from mountains to plains, I would highly recommend the Empire Builder. The Southwest Chief, I think, is really more... For more of like the southwest, sometimes deserty, uh, sometimes mountainy, uh, and more like of the the heartland experience that you don't really get as much of with the Empire Builder, and the California Zephyr actually spends a, probably the most time of any train, uh, in the U.S. in the mountains, and uh, obviously is very well known for its views of the Rocky Mountains. So I think if you really want the best scenery, I would I would think the California Zephyr is better, but for the variety of scenery that you get, the Empire Builder is definitely the winner uh, in my book. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, hmm. I, I, huh. I, I, I would have thought that, you know, maybe the, the Southwest chief would have been, um, you know, more, more 
Well, I, I guess you can't really say that. The the sceneries are really different, you know? Like, you can't just, you can't compare desert with, um, with mountain and forest, right? They're, they're different terrains themselves. Um, but, like, for example, also, you know, as we talked about with the Canadian, um, are there many points of connection along the, amp, uh, along the Empire Builder? Like, I know it runs from Chicago to Seattle, but what, is there anything in between? Uh, there's no uh, Amtrak connections in between, except you can uh, the route parallels the Hiawatha from Chicago to Milwaukee. So I guess if you, you can count that as a connection to some degree, because I would imagine there's a slim uh, group of people that would get off Milwaukee and then maybe take the Hiawatha either to Milwaukee Airport or to Sturdivant, which are the the two stations that the Empire Builder doesn't serve. But besides that, the only other connections are at the western the western end of the line. Uh, where you can connect to the Cascades or the Coast Starlight in either Seattle or Portland. So there really is not a lot of connections, and I guess the Canadian didn't really have that many either, but there isn't an intermediate connection to somewhere else like the Canadian had with uh, the, the train to Churchill. Yeah, and it's also really interesting because, you know, as I'm looking at the map right now, there really are no, like, major, major cities along the way either, eh? Because um, with the Canadian, you know, you have Edmonton, you have Winnipeg, which are all along the way. With, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, Bozeman, Montana is, is it? The, tr- the train doesn't serve Wait, Bozeman. Actually, actually the, the, it doesn't go through any, it, it doesn't, doesn't go through any yeah, major city right. at all it doesn't. in Montana. Like it skips Missoula, it skips Billings. <laughs> it skips all of them. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, you know, once you leave, what is it? What's the last, um, uh, Minneapolis? Is that like the last, um, yeah, essentially between Minneapolis and Spokane, you really don't go through. I think the biggest city would be Whitefish, Montana. Really? Well, I, I guess it pa- or far, or if you count Fargo, but yeah, or uh, Fargo it stops at four or, in the morning. Or does it go through Bismarck, North Dakota? Uh, no, it goes through, it goes to Grand Forks and then it goes up to, to Fargo. Ah, it goes up through Minot. Okay. Yeah, it goes huh. from Fargo wow. to Grand Forks through Minot. Yeah. So if you're, you know, a city kid, you know, maybe, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, you know, this is, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's really no cities in there. So I guess it's the ideal place for, um, I don't know, disconnecting, living off the grid, as they say. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's actually one of the, if people are looking for that, that's one of the primary trains they go to. Because uh, at least, I mean, you can do that, of course, with any other uh, Amtrak train, but a lot of them just go through major cities, so it's not really as much in in really quaint, uh, tranquil parts of the country. Mm-hmm. So speaking of um, living off the grid and going through tranquil parts of the country, uh, you know, that brings, that's, you know, again, sort of a good transition um, moment to the, the second train 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 journey which i think is really cool and um that is the trans-mongolian railroad right so i'm sure by the name you can hypothesize that it goes across mongolia and you would be very correct um but it's not you know just within mongolia it's actually the route itself is a i believe it's the third longest um continuous passenger service um in the in the, in the entire world, um, and it runs from Moscow and Moscow, Russia, and it goes all the way out out uh, out east to Beijing, China, and um, you know it's it's uh, it's sort of if you can imagine right, 
everybody's of course heard of the world famous Trans-Siberian Railroad, which goes which connects Moscow all the way to Vladivostok in far eastern Russia. But the Trans-Mongolian is actually interesting because it it sort of it, it starts at um, Ulanud in in Russia, right? So it's along um, the the Trans-Siberian network. And then at Ulanud, it splits off. It goes down south, right? So instead of continuing out further east to Vladivostok, it goes down south into Mongolia, into Ulaanbaatar, and then through the um, the Gobi Desert uh, into slowly approaching Beijing. And you know, I think this route is really, really interesting because it does highlight um, sort of you know the 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 Far East interaction, if you will, right? So from Moscow, um, uh, from Moscow, you know, it, it takes uh, about six days to go all the way from 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 Moscow to Beijing, um, and I believe about uh, about four of those days are spent entirely within Russia itself. So going along the Trans-Siberian, the the small Russian cities and towns and hamlets along the way, right, as you slowly make your way out east. And then once you pass by Ulan-Ud in Lake Baikal, it goes down south. So by then the scenery shifts entirely, right? So it's no longer um, the Russian, the Siberian forest, right, as it's infamous for. It goes down south and it makes its way into the Mongolian, the vast Mongolian steppes and the vast Mongolian desert further down south. Um, which, you know, as you can imagine, right, is sort of, th- this this line is sort of, it's able to conjure up images of, for example, you know, in uh, the 1200s, and let's say, you know, you're, you're Genghis Khan, uh, and, um, or maybe, you know, you're, you, you can imagine, right, Genghis Khan and his vast Mongol army along the, the steppes or along the desert. And it's also, mm-hmm. you know, I think another reason that this is super interesting is that, you know, on, on both ends, and, and also along the way, the cultures and the peoples are just so diverse and different. Because starting out in, in Moscow, it's very much a, a, a European-style city, right? But as you make your way along um, along the Trans-Siberian, even, even still, right, even still along Lake Baikal, there are various, um, various different ethnic groups in Russia. But once you cross over the border into Mongolia, you know, it's, it's a vast different, it's an entirely different heritage and, and culture entirely right and then even still once you cross down um into into china um you know obviously right it's it's you know a different a different route a different route of civilization um so you know i think this this train journey is is really amazing both in terms of scenery and also the the culture along the way yeah and and do you know what the the pricing is like because i know that a lot of people i think potentially uh, do this trip in segments where they could get off maybe in like uh, in like Irkutsk or a city like that and then or to explore Lake Baikal and then get back on the train uh, and, uh, and the train does run continuously uh, for six days and do a lot of people do that do you know oh yeah for sure um you know there's there's you can go online you can find plenty of people who have taken for example, um, the entire route from Moscow to Beijing. I even saw, you know, for example, online, there are even people who who take it even further, right? Because Moscow and Beijing, they are certainly not, you know, um, they are certainly not 
the terminus terminus terminal stations in either country right moscow's moscow and beijing are very much you know hubs railroad hubs so i have seen for example people um who have taken uh the train starting all the way in for example london or spain take the train all the way to moscow hop on the trans uh trans mongolian the trans-siberian connecting the trans-mongolian and then once they arrive in beijing you know they can connect all the way um all throughout china and i and even down south to to vietnam cambodia and thailand so you know it's very much a, a a it's it's you know sort of the, the critical connecting segment in terms of that because you have the the vast european train network and the vast asian train network um this is really the only one that that connects the two right um so there's definitely people who who you know take the whole thing and and and, and then some in terms of the pricing um you know i i you know i i you know there are some statistics but it's also important to remember that, you know, for different segments along the way, right, um, the prices will be fabulously different because, you know, um, both because of, you know, economies, um, you know, the different standards, uh, different, you know, um, wages or, or standards of living of different places along the route. Um, a ticket, for example, from, you know, from Moscow to another big city along the line is certainly not going to cost the same as, you know, as we said before, one village to the next village. Um, but, you know, in terms of rough, rough, rough estimates, uh, there are some figures which, uh, which um, effectively, you know, for first class, for first class, um, you can expect a, a, a ticket to cost approximately uh, 1,900 for the entire route. And for you know, econ for economy for for second class one thousand two hundred, um, and uh, you know it's it's also important to remember that along the way, right? Um, you know the costs are very much cheaper. So this is not, for example, with the Canadian or the Canadian where uh, a room will cost um, four thousand dollars, right? Uh, and then the meals might cost like thirty dollars each in Russia, in Mongolia, and in China, right? There are plenty of onboard services who, who will sell you incredibly cheap meals. Um, you can get snacks incredibly cheap. If you're in Russia, you can also get very cheap vodka um, for fun times, basically. Um, and yeah, um, I have also seen videos, for example, of people that, that really, you know, when, it's, when the train is in those sort of desolate places, it's in the forest or if it's in the desert, you know, there, there, people are just, you know, sitting in the dining car, drinking, drinking vodka, playing cards. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very relaxed environment, if you will. Yeah, it sounds like one. And I, I've also seen videos of people who that decide to, to ditch the dining cars altogether and bring instant meals instead. Uh, I think potentially because the dining car meals are uh, like a minimum eight or ten dollars for some of the items. So I think, like you said, the prices are pretty variable and i think there's also a lot of operators that operate some luxury services as well well i mean well it's it's all effectively state-run right because you know in, in russia and in china and mongolia in between um but in terms of like the actual um dining experience if you will um you know not only is there the dining car there's as you mentioned certain, you know, certainly a lot of people will will take on instant meals um but there's also people at stations right 
who will actively sell you things. And I think that's, you know, a, a pretty big difference with um, train systems in, in North America. Um, in, for example, stations along, you know, along the Trans-Siberian, along the Trans-Mongolian, in, in, you know, rural Russia, Siberian Russia, right? Um, you know, lining the station where the trains pull up, there are plenty of, of vendors, independent vendors, who will just be, you know, trying to sell you stuff as, basically, you know, as fast as can, as fast as possible before the train leaves, right? Before the train leaves again. Um, and it's sort of, you know, this sort of culture of, of selling to train passengers, which is incredibly common along this, this, this entire line, um, you know, and, and it's also, you know, it's also good to consider that, uh, you know, you will not be given, even yeah. in the dining car, you will not be given, you know, four star, five, four or five star meals, right? Michelin starred meals, or even something more fancy as, as might be seen on the Canadian or on the Empire State, Empire State, or on the Empire Builder, um, you know, like in Russia, right? You'll probably be given a, bo a bowl of borscht, or you know, in Mongolia, you'll probably given you'll probably be given some some you know, um, some 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 traditional Mongolian meat dish, right? It's not the steaks, it's not um, the high end cuisine. Uh, which I think, you know, actually contributes, it, it actually adds to the experience because, you know, you're not in, you know, Paris or, or New York or whatever. You're in Siberia. You're in the Gobi Desert. Um, so I think it also, that also helps the, the very authentic vibe that you Yeah, get. certainly to, to, from my perspective, it sounds like a, a really enjoyable experience uh, coming, especially for me who hasn't really been on. Uh, a train that long in a in a really desolate area so it's actually uh a really attempting or really uh like appealing of a, a journey yeah and I, especially and i was just gonna say like for the price like it's much better of a deal than the canadian for that long of a journey so yeah i mean you know by pure time it certainly is but um i you know i i, I kind of want to ask you you know do you think like because because you said you've been on the empire builder but not but that's effectively half as long. Do you think you could, you know, survive a, a six-day journey <laughs> if, like, taking it nonstop? Uh, I, I think I could. I mean, I haven't actually been on a long-distance train since I was 10, and I think then I could easily handle a, a, a two-day trip. And I would, uh, this summer, I would absolutely love to do a trip like that. Uh, that's not going to happen, but it's certainly it's something I, I really hope to do in the coming years uh, if I'm ever in Russia. Or in Mongolia. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely a challenge because you do also have to remember, like, there are no showers on board. Um, yeah. So, you know, but I mean, I would certainly say the the, the scenery and and um, of all the things that you know you can experience along the way. Oh, also, I also remember that. Um, uh, for example, you know, along. Uh, along the international borders, right? You, you're just sort of forced to get off the train and just stand there awkwardly. Well, not stand there. You just, just wander around awkwardly at the station once they process everything. And on, and then also, once that is done, um, the rolling stock is different between, I believe it's Mongolia and China, uh, because Mongolia uses the, the Russian um, rolling stock, the, the Russian length. So um, it's also, I also seen, I've also seen, you know, the scenes of, um, 
the the, the humorous uh, videos in which you know you're 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 the the entire train carriage is lifted up right while you're still in it and then the rolling stock is switched for the train to continue its journey um so i guess that's another you know fun interesting point yeah that's it's interesting i didn't actually consider that because i know that at least in in north america i think that the gauge of the tracks are pretty similar and we use similar rolling stock as well so it's interesting that it's so different in other countries there's not many services out there where you can you know there's not, there's not many, I don't believe there's many rail services where, you know, they have that cross international borders between countries who use different rolling stock. I don't know. There might be. I haven't fiercely studied this. Yeah, and I think so. Considering that, I, the other train I was I was hoping to discuss was the, the Northern Explorer train, which uh, unfortunately does not uh, go between different countries. Uh, one thing I would wish it do wish it could do is to uh, travel between different islands in New Zealand. Um, uh, but currently at the moment, it only goes between uh, Wellington and Auckland. And it was really interesting to me when I first uh, heard about it, because I for a moment thought it was actually a train link between Wellington and Auckland that people could do on a daily basis. But uh, unbeknownst to me, it's actually a, a, it's a, it can range between like a, a 10 hour journey uh, usually. And I think sometimes it can even be up to 15 uh, and it's actually surprisingly marketed as a scenic train, despite it running uh, three days a week in each direction, or three days a week from Auckland to Wellington and three days a week from Wellington to Auckland. Uh, but like I mentioned... Wait, 15... Wait, sorry, sorry. 15 hours? I believe... So it's normally marketed as 10 hours, but I want to say I've, I've seen it that it's, it could have been a 15-hour journey. But generally, it's uh, I believe it's... Holy uh, it's 10 hours and 30 minutes of uh, one direction and then it's closer to 11 i think going towards auckland um but yeah it's it's quite long for just being marketed as a, a or maybe even short to some degree for being a, a scenic train because uh, i would have expected that because uh, it runs during the day so it's not actually an overnight train uh, and it leaves at like 7 30 in the morning on both ends so you can actually just do it in a day and go from wellington to auckland which to me would make it seem like it's more marketed as uh, as a train meant for people who are just trying to go between the cities uh, in a day. And it actually gets surprising ridership. It gets 180 pe- uh, people on the train per day, uh, per year, because it gets about uh, 68,000 passengers per year. So quite a lot for uh, a train that's marketed as a scenic train. Uh, and especially considering that the, the price is actually really cheap. It's only 89 New Zealand dollars, which is uh, about 62, I want to say, U.S. dollars. So it's uh, for a 10-hour journey, that's really cheap. Uh, and, I, uh, and I believe they don't really have a lot of class differentiation either. So you really just get a, a scenic ticket to uh, the biggest city in New Zealand if you're going towards Auckland or towards the capital uh, if you're going south. So it's actually quite uh, – it, it, it was surprising to me to see – uh, that rather than being just a regular train that could connect cities in New Zealand, they have more scenic trains. Because at least for me, my perception was that New Zealand would focus on creating a lot of train connections between their cities. But instead, actually, they have an operator, Kiwi Rail, that runs just uh, scenic routes in a lot of cases uh, where they just have like three what they're called uh, Great Journeys of New Zealand, which are the, the, the Northern Explorer, as I mentioned. And then they have the, the Coastal Pacific, uh, which runs between Picton and uh, Christchurch on the South Island, and then the, the Transalpine, which also uh, runs on the South Island as well. Uh, so like I mentioned, it'd be great if they could get uh, get a train to go across the Cook Strait, but uh, of course, uh, the Cook Strait's notorious for its its 
rough waters. So I think that's going to be harder uh, to implement in the future, and especially when they don't even have a road connection between the two islands. But for now, uh, the Northern Explorer is definitely the capstone of uh, the scenic routes in New Zealand, uh, and it connects two big cities. But of course, the New Zealand itself uh, really is focused on its nature and its outdoors, and I think you get to experience a lot of that in this route. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, the way you're describing it, absolutely. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, let, I, as you said before, it's really interesting because, you know, this 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 is marketed as a sort of scenic route, even though it is between, you know, the big cities, right? Um, but also another thing, you know, I guess just as, as a sort of side tangent, um, I actually didn't realize that, like, that I, I didn't realize that, like New Zealand actually was, you know, so, so decently big, right? Like, yeah, you know, the North Island, right? Um, to get from Auckland to Wellington, it would take, I believe, eight hours by car and, you know, 11, 10 or 11 hours by train, as you said, you know, I, I, I just think that's interesting because, you know, we often think of New Zealand as being this teeny tiny little nation on the map, right? Um, and so, you know, I guess, I, I, I think I was sort of expecting like this to be a four or five hour journey or something. Yeah. But, um, you know, I actually, that's actually, since you did mention that it is a scenic route, um, I'm actually curious because, you know, I, I have definitely seen the pictures of scenic New Zealand, right? And they're absolutely breathtaking. Um, but they've mostly been on the South Island. So, you know, with this, uh, with the Northern Explorer, you know, what kind of scenery, you know, does it really offer uh well the the route itself goes through the the center of the north island and there's actually some some national parks in that region there's uh wanganui national park and tongariro uh sorry if i'm butchering those pronunciations but there are um actually some national parks that run through the center of the north island and then there's also uh uh, lake uh, taupo and i don't have the exact route of the northern explorer uh looking at it immediately but it, it does uh, traverse through the center of uh of the north island i believe slightly to the west of uh of lake taupo so it, it does actually i mean I, I i agree with you that i was certainly expecting most of the scenery in new zealand to be on the south island as it's usually marketed but certainly um there's a lot of high quality national parks uh within the north island itself that the train uh, runs through uh it doesn't go through it but goes uh, near it so uh, i think similar to the empire builder you get a lot of um, distant views hmm. yeah i'm looking at i'm looking at the map right now and um you know as you mentioned tonga tongariro national park um yeah i mean huh i guess there's you know the the, the dotted um individual volcanoes of of volcanoes um of the north island too so i guess it's i don't know i for, from my my initial impression is that i guess you know it's 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 more of highlighting, you know, these these sorts of individual peaks rather than just like the alpine scenery in the south. I don't know. Yeah, and I and I think that's good because of course it's not going to be productive for a country to have a lot of its tourism centered along the South Island. And I think it's good that this is marketed as generally the, the one of the better of New Zealand scenic routes because, like I mentioned, there are two other routes that run on the South Island near Christchurch. So I think it's good overall that they're 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 diversifying their tourism. And I know a lot of people go to Auckland uh, when they go to New Zealand because it is the biggest city after all. Uh, but if you can create connections between Wellington and Auckland and at least open up the possibility of people being exposed to these national parks that get less traffic, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, do you know, like, um, see, I'm not very versed in, in New Zealand railways. Uh, do you know if there's lots of connections on, on the North Island with uh, the Northern the northern um, Explorer? Uh, well, I don't know uh, specifically in between, but I know that uh, Wellington does have some commuter rail lines. I know there's the, the Johnsonville line that uh, parallels part of this route, uh, or at least it connects in Johnsonville uh, or nearby in Johnsonville. Uh, and then uh, Auckland also has uh, a relatively extensive commuter rail network. To my surprise, uh, I was looking at it uh, a couple weeks ago, and they have a couple lines. And they're also uh, Auckland, to their credit, is doing a lot of work uh, improving the public transport system. Uh, but in terms of like longer distance routes, there's really not a lot of connections. But you can uh, connect to a lot of uh, commuter rail trains uh, within these cities that can take you elsewhere in the in the region. Yeah, and I'm also looking at a map because it seems. Sort of like, um, as you said before, the, the great journeys of New Zealand, right? Um, so, I mean, certainly we have the, the Northern Explorer. And then, you know, once, once it also, you know, reaches Wellington, right? And you have, you know, there's no bridge across. Um, there is a ferry off to the South Island. And then it just immediately picks up on the Coastal Pacific Line on the South Island down to Christchurch. Uh, which I think is just, just, you know, really cool that you can, you know, it's sort of, even though there's water in the way, it's sort of, I guess, a continuous, semi-continuous journey. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it seems, uh, certainly on the South Island, there's not, like, um, uh, these major city connections. Um, but, I mean, do you think that, you said before, um, do, do, do you think uh, the mo- most of the people who use this are... are are tourists or are practical travelers? Uh, well, I don't actually uh know like the split. I would imagine it is relatively skewed towards tourists, because uh, certainly people going between Wellington and Auckland likely wouldn't want to take a ten-hour train ride. But I know for many people that that's really doable. Uh, and given that, like I mentioned earlier, it does run during the day, so you can leave at uh, seven fifty-five from Wellington and get into uh, Auckland around seven p.m. So it timing wise, I think it, it it's viable for for tourists uh, to just go between the two cities or for people looking to just travel between the two. But I think for the most part, it's it's more of a scenic railroad, and it does make intermediate stops too, which allows it to pick up passengers or for people to get off and go to these national parks. So I, I really don't know the exact split, but I might my hunch is that it skews slightly towards just people looking for the scenery. Yeah, it certainly would make sense too. Um, I guess just I, one final question, which I'm I'm legitimately curious about. Um, you know, we've you know for this for this episode, we've both chosen um, two interesting rail journeys of the world. Um, you know, we both we chose the the um, the Canadian Empire Builder, which are you know continental North American ones. They're they're pretty pretty famous. Um, I chose the Trans-Mongolian, which is also pretty, you know, long and, and famous in Asia. But we don't usually think about New Zealand's rail transit at all. Um, you know, what, how, you know, what made you aware of of the Northern Explorer, basically? Uh, well, with them being honest, it's really, like, surprisingly in, like, the last two months, I've just had, like, a, a more of an, a, like, a, an interest in... Uh, desire to learn more about the southern hemisphere so uh, and even just I was just looking around New Zealand just to figure out like what are their cool cities can you live there like what's the quality of life like and I 
and can I, you can you live there? And I think one of the things. Uh, no, no, we cannot. Well, and you know, one of the things I was looking for is like, can you get between Wellington and Auckland uh, relatively easily? And I figured there's there's got to be some train connection because New Zealand generally does transit decently well in parts, and I know that Wellington has a, a pretty good transit system. So I was curious what those connections were like, and I noticed there was a train route, but it was it was interesting to me that it would be named something like the Northern Explorer, because I was expecting it to be just like Wellington to Auckland with maybe like five frequencies per day. But instead, it's rather just a, 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 a it only runs once a day, three days a week. So it, it's certainly different than what I was expecting, but I think that adds to the allure of it. And it was really just uh, me considering what transit is like in New Zealand, because I was curious to learn more about it. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a you know, I can definitely relate to that. You know, it's definitely... Um, a desire to learn more about somewhere, and then just randomly stumbling across this this really cool uh, train journey. Eh? So, um, you know, with the other routes that we've chosen, with the Canadian, with the Empire Builder, with the Trans Mongolian, uh, I think you've definitely chosen um, a good, a, a, a pretty interesting uh, fourth pick for our selections today. Um, and it's definitely been yeah. And really I think b- before we move on, the one thing I want to add about this train is that I think it's. Uh, uh, one of the rare cases where it can compete with a plane on the actual route, because like I mentioned, it is only sixty-two United U.S. dollars for the route, and I don't actually have flight prices up immediately, but I know that Air New Zealand is quite expensive for domestic flights. Uh, so I think the the train here actually can give Air New Zealand a run for its money on um, competition, which is interesting. Yeah. De- wait. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I just pulled up the flight prices for. Um for uh for an auckland to wellington round trip yeah i mean it's it's like 80 bucks 90 bucks um which hmm i i i would never have thought that new zealand was a place for uh you know plane and train versus train competition but wow the more you know Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting to just to look in general across all the four trains that we considered today and see that they all have a, a wide variety of, of perks and, and unique qualities that I think shows just how different and wide-ranging train travel can be across the world. And that's why I think it's important to uh, to go out and explore as much as you can of different trains. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, you know, it's fine. I, I certainly want to experience all of these routes in my lifetime if possible um but it's you know ultimately it's it's there's really just an endless supply of these really amazing train journeys yeah absolutely uh and so with that i think uh now would be a good time to to close uh of course this as we mentioned we were hoping to discuss key key rail journeys across the world and hopefully this provided an in-depth look of some of them uh, and we did try to cover some different regions of the world uh, of course we did have two in north america but in different countries uh, and so hopefully even despite some of uh, geographical continuities there was you, you were able to experience uh, different parts of the world and the trains that run through them uh, and uh, next week or our next episode is actually going to be a, a different topic we're going to uh, skew completely away from transit and focus more on on aviation and hope to cover uh, the the supersonic news out of United, uh, but but stay tuned for that and it should be a, an exciting new adventure to consider new content in addition to transit.